I make fast cars for very rich people. We're looking at things that will tell you if you are in danger from threats, missiles and that kind of stuff. I'm going to be joining Airbus Defence and Space as a robotic systems engineer. My role involves designing the electrical systems for large construction sites. I was doing it all uh, and I experienced it all. If you listen to those engineers and thought, I could do that, then you're in the right place. Welcome to I Could Do That, a podcast by Silver Fox and the IET, asking engineers what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to the I Could Do That podcast. I'm Alex, the host. I am the head of research and development at Silver Fox. And alongside me today, I have Graham Morrison. Graham, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, Alex. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, my name's Graham, and I'm a principal engineer at a company called Optimal Agriculture. Brilliant. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. So I guess first I should probably explain what Optimal do as a company, because uh, we work in a field that probably a lot of people won't be very familiar with, and then I can tell you a bit about what I do at Optimal. Um, so Optimal, we work with greenhouses. Um, so imagine a greenhouse like in your back garden, for example, growing fruit and veg, but mm. then scale it up massively. So, you know, typical size greenhouse we would work with might be something like 10 hectares, which is about the size of 15 football pitches. Um, so that's the kind of massive size we're talking about. Um, and greenhouses like this are actually, a lot of people don't realize, but they're actually already pretty common, uh, especially in Northern Europe. You know, we have a, a huge network of greenhouses across Northern Europe, growing a lot of our fresh fruit and veg. It's actually one of the main reasons why in Northern Europe we have access to fresh fruit and veg pretty much all year round and at relatively low prices compared to a lot of the rest of the world. Um, you know, greenhouses like this can be a very cost effective, efficient and very sustainable way of growing large amounts of food compared to other approaches like, for example, outdoor farming. Um, so, you know, optimal, we think that the whole world should be benefiting from this technology so the question is then well why don't we just build greenhouses like this all over the world if they're already common um, well there's a number of reasons for that but one of the major ones is that greenhouses like this are actually very very complex to run um, way more complex than a greenhouse in your back garden um, so each greenhouse needs a very very highly trained human expert with many years experience in order to operate it well um, and that expert, you know, they don't just have to look after the crop itself in the greenhouse, but they've also got to think about and manage all of the things like lighting, heating pipes, ventilation, irrigation systems, nutrition inside that greenhouse. And the problem is a lot of the world doesn't have access to these kinds of experts. You know, in a lot of the world, people with this expertise just don't exist. Mm. Um, and, you know, greenhouses can be and should be very, as I said, cost-effective, efficient and sustainable way of growing food, but only if you get all of those things absolutely right. And so, you know, the difference between an excellent greenhouse operator and a poor or even an average greenhouse operator is actually a very, very big difference in terms of the yields that they can get from that greenhouse. And so greenhouses that are built in areas of the world that don't have access to enough of these experts and are then run badly, end up failing because they don't get the yields that are necessary in order to sustain themselves financially. Um, and so this is the problem we're trying to solve at Optimal. So our mission as a company is to one day have autonomously run 
sustainable greenhouses growing fresh fruit and veg outside every major city on earth. So what we're doing is we're using software to automate the role of that human expert. Um, so you know every single decision about how to grow the crop from when it's first planted to when it's harvested, from you know controlling the lighting, heating, ventilation, irrigation, nutrition, but also all the management of the crop, like uh, for example, how many leaves you should leave on the plant, how many fruits you should leave on the plant, all of these kinds of decisions. All of those are made by our software based on data from sensors in the greenhouse, which are coming back into our system every couple of minutes. Um, and so we hope that with that technology, one day the whole world can have access to healthy, fresh, locally grown food sustainably and at very low cost. So that's what Optimal Agriculture are doing as a company. And then my role at Optimal is as a principal engineer. And my technical specialism is in understanding and modeling the behavior of complex real world systems like a crop growing in a high-tech greenhouse. Um, and what I then do is take those mathematical models that we generate, encode them in software, and then use those kind of like you may have heard the term a digital twin. Um, it's a bit of a buzzword in a lot of industries at the moment, but it describes it pretty well. So you know, you're creating this digital representation of the real world system, and then using it to try and simulate and optimize and control the real world system. Um, so in the context of a greenhouse, that means, for example, coming up with mathematical models for all of the various complex subcomponents of that system. So that would be things like the climate inside the greenhouse, uh, the irrigation systems, the lighting systems, but also the crop itself and the way that the crop responds to all of the environmental inputs around it. And then encoding those in software and using those to make sure that every single decision that affects the growth of the crop from when to turn on a heating pipe to when to irrigate or when to harvest the fruit is optimized so that we get the highest possible yields and the highest possible quality, but at the lowest costs and with very low use of resources so that we also have high sustainability as well. You said earlier on this podcast, because I was listening, that not many people know what it is you do or how it works. So did you always want to be a principal engineer in an agricultural company? No, so actually, um, until just a few years ago when I joined Optimal, um, this entire industry around greenhouses was completely unfamiliar to me. And uh, originally, my technical interests as an engineer were quite different as well. Um, so mm. when I first got interested in engineering, it was more in uh, mechanical engineering and, and particularly motorsport. So it was motorsport that first really got me interested in engineering as a teenager. So I went to university and studied a, a general engineering degree and when I had the opportunity to specialize in the last two years of that degree I kind of went down the route of mechanical and a little bit of aeronautical engineering with a view to maybe having a career in motorsport and then I guess there were two things which happened which kind of changed my path so first one was that during that undergraduate course I did a summer internship with a Formula One team and you know it was a fantastic internship I really enjoyed it I learned a lot but yeah through doing that internship just realized that it wasn't really what I wanted to do as a career and then the second thing was that in the final year of that undergraduate degree I had to do a master's project like a lot of people do when they're studying hmm. and because I didn't actually get either of my first two choices of project I kind of ended up working by accident on a project which was more in this field of 
and modeling and simulation and, and building digital twins. So the project was to simulate motorway traffic flows and then use those simulations to explore the effects of allowing larger freight vehicles onto the road. So if you imagine having a smaller number of freight vehicles, but each of them are larger, so that they're carrying the same total amount of freight on the road network, we wanted to use the simulations that we built to understand what would the effect of that be on things like, say, congestion and fuel consumption uh, and emissions for the whole road network. And so, you know, you can't really perform that experiment in the real world, but by building this simulation of it, um, you could explore the effects. And yeah, I found that I really enjoyed that project and that process of creating this digital twin and then using it. So when I got to the end of that master's project, I decided to stay and carry on studying. I stayed and studied for a PhD with the same supervisor. And that project was related to freight vehicles again, but this time it was focused on braking systems on freight vehicles. So this project was starting from a model of, uh, of a lorry and how it would respond under braking, using that model to then actually optimize and control the way that the braking system was actuated so that the vehicle would stop as quickly as possible, but also remain very, very stable under braking. So you can kind of see I was, it was kind of moving on further from not just using these models to simulate and an experiment with a virtual system, uh, but then actually using them to, in real time, make control decisions, actually, actually control the real world system. Um, and so, yeah, I finished, finished that PhD and then actually, um, you know, went back to uh, McLaren, which was the Formula One team, which I which I did the internship with originally, but to a different part of the company. So not the Formula One team, another part called McLaren Applied Technologies, and spent a few years there, you know, working in a similar way, using models and simulations and using them to control systems and make decisions. But in you know, several different industries, so things like healthcare, there was a, a bit of work with autonomous vehicles, some stuff in motorsport, which you could never get far away from at McLaren. Um, and yeah, also some stuff in the energy sector, manufacturing, um, but actually never at any point was there anything related to agriculture. And it was then, yeah, about four years ago that a friend uh, put me in touch with Optimal. Um, and I was immediately, you know, really interested in the problem they were trying to solve. And I think also recognized quite quickly that there was an opportunity there to apply all of these same methods and techniques that I've been using since that master's project and that PhD and then in all those years at McLaren to a very, very different problem. And yeah, that's that's how I got to where I am now. So yeah, that's, I guess, how I got to where I am now. Now I'm here growing tomatoes with software. <laughs> I think we might one day get to a point where we don't actually eat anything. We just grow it on a computer. <laughs> and that'll be down to you, Graham. Silverfox proudly supports engineers with all their cable, wire and pipe labeling requirements. The Fox in a Box thermal printer can print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer and one ribbon, saving loads of time for the engineers out there in the field. For more information, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 373727. Just going back to your lorry project again from just personal interest, the, f the second one, your, your PhD, was that to stop lorries jackknifing? Yeah, that's a big part of it. So yeah, if you can make them more stable under braking, then you can prevent that jackknifing is one big issue. The other one is rolling over. You know, if they skid sideways, then there's a risk that they tip over those two things. What's your favorite thing about what you do? Yes, I think it's this thing that I've talked about a bit already, actually, which is this idea of building a digital twin, building a virtual representation of the real world, and then being able to use that to try things that you, you couldn't in the real world. You know, you can experiment, you can explore, 
um, you have that freedom which allows you to discover new ways to optimize the system which you wouldn't have because doing it in the real world would maybe be too expensive or too dangerous or for whatever yeah. other reason and I think the, the really rewarding bit is when you, you know, discover a new way in which you think you might be able to optimize the system using your digital twin and then you get an opportunity to try and put that into practice in the real world and if you see it validated if it actually works out then that's really rewarding yeah i don't know anything about optimal but is it you doing it from a because it makes you feel good because of how much good it's doing there's certainly an aspect of that yeah i mean it's very very motivating to know that what we're building can hopefully contribute to to feeding a growing population um but you know it's also working on the kinds of technical problems that i really enjoy as well so it's it's both yeah good we could throw an extra question in here did you not think about going down the autonomous car route you said you meant you did a bit of it mclaren but that seems like the perfect combination of the two absolutely thought about it and and yeah as, as you say did work a little bit on some autonomous vehicle related projects while while at mclaren i think what i found in the end was um you know after a couple of years of working in that field began to find it slightly frustrating in a way you know it's a field that's been very hyped for several several years mm -hmm. it's one of those things that's always five years away yeah right? and then five years later it's still five years away and i'm sure we will get there but i'm a little bit of a skeptic maybe with these things and i think maybe it's a little further away than people are often claiming the difference with what i'm working on now is as soon as i heard about what we're doing at optimal i thought this is something that i can really imagine working within the next few years maybe not getting to the point of having a completely autonomous greenhouse but getting to the point where you've managed to automate large parts of what are done in a greenhouse mm. and it's being used in practice and it's really having a, an impact and adding value within just a few years and you know we think that that's that's where we're at now with the technology after just a few years you know we think the technology we've built already has massive value and will hopefully be used um in practice uh, very very soon yeah i guess I, well you, you've said it already the goal is to remove the need for a specialist to be in every single greenhouse by the sounds of it that's where you almost are yeah pretty much yeah you've you've worked for optimal mclaren different parts of mclaren almost got a job at highways england what's the most important lesson you've learned over your career yeah i would say that uh it's probably just to always start simple so start with the simplest solution you can possibly think of to the problem you're solving and then only think about adding complexity later, really, just as and when it's needed. So I think we have a tendency as engineers to really like overthink and you know, maybe be perfectionists about things. But I've found time and time again that often the, the bar you need to clear for creating something which is actually really valuable in practice, in industry, can be much, much lower than you realise. And so I think it's always best to start very, very simple, build something which works, ship it quickly, and then iterate it from there. As I say, only add more, more complexity to it when it really becomes needed. Hmm. Well, you sound like the agile project manager's dream. <laughs> that's, that's a joke for some software engineers, there you go. You, you mentioned how a poorly run greenhouse without specialists in there doesn't obviously doesn't yield enough to pay for itself. Does that still yield more than if you just put a farm and fields growing crops in the same space? Or does it depend? Yeah. Is that a massively loaded question? It massively depends, of course, how badly you run it, but I'm, I'm sure there are greenhouses out there being run so poorly that you could achieve higher yields in a field farm. I'm almost certain that's the case. But for the, for the most part, it's 
for, for the most part, as long as you're as long as you're growing reasonably well, you should still be able to achieve a higher yield in a greenhouse than in a field farm. Yeah. So there you have it. Another episode of I Could Do That, a podcast produced by Silver Fox and the IET. If you're an engineer currently working on a project and requires support with your cable and equipment labelling, please get in touch with one of the Silver Fox team on sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 3737 27.